Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast, where we take a behind-the-scenes, intimate look at surgery from leaders in the field. So welcome to another episode of uh, Behind the Knife, everybody, and we are absolutely pleased to have Dr. Uh, Antonio Lacey here, who is the head of service of GI surgery and the section chief of minimally invasive surgery at Barcelona Hospital and professor with tenure of surgery and surgical specialties at the University of Barcelona. Professor Lacey, thanks for so much for joining us on BTK. Thanks for you. So, um, obviously, me being a colorectal surgeon and being within the American Society of Colorectal Surgeons, uh, I've had a small opportunity to get to know you, but nothing uh, like viewing you from afar, and it's, it's absolutely fantastic that you're able to join us here. For those of you who aren't as familiar with your work, can you tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, where you trained, and how it came to the point where you're at Barcelona right now? <laughs> Yeah, maybe I, I don't know if I if I explain all my history. Probably, I, I take more than than two hours. But anyway, <laughs> I try to summarize. I born in the in the best island in the world, and remember that because that will be very important in in my career in my professional career. Because I born in Mallorca, it's a Mediterranean island. It's a beautiful island. And uh, due because we don't have a school of medicine, I have to move with only 17 years old to Barcelona. You know, the, the funny situation is I sent to the mail, you know, asking because I have, a, you know, an uncle who lives in, uh, in Madrid. And uh, this one guy in the mail, you know, uh, made a, a mistake. And that is the reason because I... I I have to um, to I had to came to 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 Barcelona. That is the the first thing. The second thing is I think is quite funny because I thought I I was in the third year of uh, the university and I want to be intern of one of the schools of surgery. And in those days, I used to to help one uh, orthopedic surgeon in Mallorca during the summer. And that is the reason because I asked one of my professors. You know, to be one intern in orthopedics. And he, he said to me, I know everyone. You know, typical uh, of the ego of the surgeons, I know everyone. And when we went, uh, he, he committed a mistake. And we went, instead of uh, orthopedic surgery, we went to gastrointestinal surgery. And that's probably the reason because I'm, you know, I'm not grew up in, in Madrid. And I am a gastrointestinal surgeon to this. After, you know, I made my residency in the hospital clinic in Barcelona. And I was really, really involved in those days in portal hypertension, liver diseases, and, and, liver, and liver transplant. I went to the United States to Emory, Emory Hospitals in 1981 with one of the, my, sometimes I think I committed another mistake in my life because my second uh, child was uh, born in uh, at the beginning of December, and at the beginning of January, one month later, you know, I decided to 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 go to Emory for uh, for a long time period, you know, leaving my wife and my two kids uh, in Barcelona. Uh, after that, I moved from, because in Emory it was a, a very good hospital, but I decided to move to San Francisco in California American Center 
to uh, do uh, to do uh, pediatrics liver transplant. After that, I uh, after a year, I came to to my hospital again. And due to some, uh, let me say, political problems, I cannot start with the with the children's pediatrics uh, liver transplant program. And I decided to uh, okay. I was the younger of a group of liver transplant, very very hard group. Still, it's a hard group. And I decided to move to another kind of uh, surgery, and I started with minimally invasive surgery. And uh, thanks to many friends around the world, very important sages for me, very important people in uh, in uh, in those days in the early nineties. You know, I started to 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 be in this world. After that, I went to Cleveland Clinic. I met. That is the reason because uh, I again I remember the island because I met for me one of the, my best mentors in my life is uh, Victor Fascio. He, uh, unfortunately, he passed away, uh, passed away recently. However, I remember I met him and he asked me, say, where are you coming from? I say, I'm coming from an island like you. I say, what, which island? And I said, that's similar size. He's, he was from Australia. And I say, he was really surprised because I'm Australia. <laughs> Do you think Mallorca is like Australia? Okay, if you take a look at the map, the difference is only three, four centimeters. That, but, <laughs> that is the reason because immediately I started a very good relation with him. He was my mentor. And I have the opportunity to went another good thing, you see, an opportunity to, to go to another hospital again in Mallorca, to be the chief of Mallorca. And I decided, you know, to take a plane just to ask, you know, the opinion, the big, big, Victor's opinion. And was really funny because I was with, with him and his wife, his beautiful wife, uh, talking about uh, what is the advantage or disadvantage to go to another hospital. And at the end of the dinner, he asked me 13 times the same question. Say, if you go to this hospital, you will have the power. And I, I said, of course, because I will be the chief. It's, that is not the power. You know, he asked me the same question 13 times. And I, 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 I thought, this guy is, 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 is so intelligent. And I have, any, I have some doubt about that. But immediately I realized he's absolutely right, because he said, power is patience. And I think, you know, that is a real reason, because I am here in the Cleveland Clinic, probably Sydney, is better in terms of the Cleveland, you know, in the quality of life, etc. However, he he had the patience there, and that's I realized immediately and decided not to move to the hospital, and and I think one of the main advantages is I have many patients, many people with me, and that is very important in my professional career. After that, I started with a, you know started with the different programs. I'm. I'm not a typical uh, colorectal surgeon because I'm, I'm coming from liver transplant surgeon, and I started with the, with the many things with the upper GI, bariatrics, etc. And now I mainly focus in uh, in in colorectal, but still I'm doing uh, quite of liver metastasis, esophageal cancer, gastric cancer, and I think it's enough. <laughs> Well, Professor Lacey, one of the other uh, reasons we had you on is to discuss your very popular AIS channel, 
Uh, and for those who are not familiar, it can be uh, found at AISchannel.com. Uh, one of the things we wanted to find out from you specifically is how, how did you develop the AIS channel? How did it get started? And then moving on to what, what's the best use for it for both residents and, and uh, staff uh, surgeons? Again, I think it's important that, you know, the, as you set, you know, the background and the history, the personal history is very important. I remember, you know, my, my first time in the United States, I was 18 years old in 76, is the bicentennial, and I uh, arrived to San Francisco. And I was absolutely surprised because, you know, you, you can imagine a big parade, you know, starting in the airport. It was a, it was, I was absolutely crazy. But immediately, in those days, you know, in Spain, we have a, a horrible dictator, and he's, uh, he's was Franco. And I have, you know, some shy to, to show my Spanish passport. And that was, for me, very important. Fortunately, now we are in a democratic uh, country. However, you know, for me, that you know, the, 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 this brand related with the with the with the people, and I said I used to go to many hosp- many uh, congresses, different uh, foreign hospitals, etc. I normally, you know, the Spanish guys is not using to go to a different hospitals and congresses. That is the reason because I thought many years after I thought, you know, only three percent of the surgeons can move, you know, to different hospitals, congresses. To learn to teach, you know, the different techniques and the new, the innovation in surgery, and I thought could be a good idea to do something, you know, uh, using the new tools like internet, streaming, etc., to make a platform absolutely free for everyone. And those days we started to do it, and I remember when I tried to explain because we don't have money to do it, etc. And when we start, you know, to, to, to try to explain the idea, I remember one guy related with those things with uh, TV in here in Spain. He said, do you want to make uh, something like Facebook in surgery? And I said, that is, a, that is a, a good idea. And I think, you know, as you said, the difference between education around the countries is absolutely, they are very big differences. And I think we have to democratize the education around the world, you know, in particular in surgery. We started with the idea, we created the platform. When the platform we created at the beginning, you know, we are, it's only, let me say, a, like a video platform because we put only videos related with surgery. We started to do live surgeries. And now I'm very, very happy because many, many young surgeons uh, send me m- many emails to my group saying, I'm very happy because with this, you know, it's a very important related with uh, my education in surgery in a uh, very strange, uh, you know, strange not is the right word, is in many different places that probably is not, you know, I people is talking about the United States, He's talking about uh, uh, other countries in Europe, etc. But there are many, you know, poor countries, and we can arrive with a simple, uh, you know, internet. 
and uh, they can know what is the new innovation. We started with very complicated procedures, but now we realize it's very important, not only complicated. We started with colorectal, with bariatrics, but we wanted to have the majority of the of the of the uh, specialities in surgery in probably in this year maximum before spring uh, 2018. I think it, you are absolutely right, but uh, that was one of the ideas. It's one of the verticals of the AIS. However, when I was in Oscars last year, you know, maybe let me say only 10% of the people knows you know this platform. When I was in in, uh, in uh, here in 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 Seattle, probably more than ninety percent of the people, as you know, know exactly what what is AIS, and I think it's important. That is the is the terms related with education. But we are creating many different things to try to facilitate, uh, you know, the way to uh, learn to teach techniques. We created, for example. You know, the, we call AIS director. You can choose the camera that you want to see. Minimum is four or five cameras during an, uh, an, uh, an operating theater. And you can, you can choose, you know, the, the single surgeon can choose, okay, I wanted to see what is the, how you put the trockers into the abdomen. That means the external view, or they can choose the internal view at the same time, charging all the time. And the other time we created something for me is quite important is the AIS mentor. You know, with your iPhone and a simple iPad, I can be connected with a very uh, inexpensive tool. Uh, I can be connected with uh, not me. You see, the surgeon is supposed to be the leader in this kind of surgery, can be connected with many different hospitals and can not proctor, but can mentor how can the other surgeons as they can then do uh, the search. Another uh, important thing is uh, is now we are working really hard in, in virtual reality and augmented virtual reality. You know, we have, with the support of one of the big industry related, uh, dedicated to this, and we created like, let me say, like a Netflix in surgery. And at the same time, that is, is behind because we we created a virtual reality in, and you can enter in the in the real patient like you normally do with uh, you can play is like a game and that could be very important is like a, a kind of simulation and i think we we have become i think let me say and because i'm very proud with my team you know the most popular platform in the in the in the world in surgical education. So I want to touch on that last point that you made, talking about virtual reality and simulation. One of the things that the American Board of Colorectal Surgery and some other boards out there are talking about is how do we incorporate some of the more advanced, maybe high technology type things into a an examination, and whether it can be good enough to get a high stakes examination. You've already seen how far that the AIS channel has come in a relatively short p time period. Do you think virtual reality and simulation will ever get to the point where not only it's just an education, but it's also as a part of an examination or a certification? Yeah, that's that's very important. Again, it's uh, excellent questions because say when we started with the minimal invasive surgery, I, I remember in the in the World Congress in in Bordeaux in 1992. 
people start to talk about trying to compare, you know, the simulation that they normally do the, the, the pilots with airplanes. You know, it, it's more than 25 years later, people are still talking same, the, the same thing. The main difference between a pilot in an airplane and a surgeon in a, in a, in a theater is that mainly is because the pilot can have, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm uh, absolutely not the expert, but maybe they can, they can have 20, 25 different situations, absolutely control the majority of them. In surgery, it's absolutely different. You know, the main difference between one patient and another patient, one tumor and another tumor, is absolutely, you cannot, you know, be like a pilot. That is probably the main reason because simulation in surgery is very, very difficult. Probably the, the, the you know, the, 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 the project related with uh, airplanes, you know, they have more economical support than the economical support they have the, the, the surgeons. However, in virtual reality, in, you can probably in, in early September, in September, maybe you can have the, the first prototype to do a real surgery, you know, one technique in a, in a simple like a game but not like simulator that we have in the market that looks like, uh, you know, let me say it looks like not really, it looks fake. You know, that is a real, it's absolutely real patient with real surgery. But at the same time, you mentioned, what about credentials? Say, uh, um, AS Channel thought many things because AS Channel is a platform, it's a free, absolutely free, for education. However, if you wanted to certificate, you know, of course, we need to have, uh, you know, economical background about that, and we created the Kairos. Kairos is uh, something related with AS Channel, but it's uh, some kind of accreditation for different people. At the moment, we have 27 courses and in different specialities, and we will, of course, you know, implement a virtual reality in this kind of courses. Uh, Professor Lacey, I was just uh, a little curious about the uh, live surgeries that you do. I see there's uh, a training session coming up in about seven days on ileostomy closure training for residents. Uh, can you talk about how um, you guys perform, you know, video this in, on a live operation? And have you guys ever had any uh, times where it's gotten a little scary being live and having it you know, thousands of uh, people watching? Yeah, that is, uh, you know, we discuss many things with different hospitals, uh, different uh, managers, uh, hospitals, different, even different lawyers and patients and ethical committees. Because could you imagine, you know, we do many different surgeries, very complicated in life. However, we try to follow that's something that uh, I learned very well one of one of the big guys in minimal invasive surgery, one of the fathers is Sir Alfred Cushieri. I remember Alfred Cushieri a long time ago explained if you do a live surgery in a different hospital that you normally work, that is very, very common in our uh, job. The, the number of complications can increase in 25%. That's, you know, the consequence is, okay, if you wanted to do a live surgery, 
it's much better to do a live surgery in your hospital with your team. And that is the, you know, that is the principle that we follow. And you're right, probably thousand and thousand. The last one was a resident, you know, making a simple knee and procedure. And they have more than 16,000 people connected watching the surgery. However, no problem. Why? Because it's our job and you can do it. In legal aspects, we, of course, the patient know, knows everything, signs everything. All the, all the, the surgeries is uh, presented in our ethical committee. And I think we, the only, and the, that's never a patient reject or, or didn't give us the permission to, to, to do the life surgery because they understand immediately that is good for the uh, education in surgery. And that, is, I think, is a good idea. And many, many hospitals around the world is doing. More than 60% of our life surgeries is uh, in other hospitals. It is not in our hospital. You know, they are, you know we, we came from, I don't know, 20, 30 different hospitals in Europe. You know, many hospitals in South America, hospitals in China, in Japan, in many places. Have you run into any issues with, uh, you know, people not wanting to, for people not wanting to participate for fear of, um, you know, if there were a complication in one of these surgeries and now all of a sudden there's, you know, video evidence and it was, it was witnessed by 16,000 people. Um, has, has that been a, a, a like a, a challenge or has anybody expressed concerns about that? No, because uh, because it's quite simple. Because uh, you know, if one hospital choose one uh, surgical technique and one patient to do it, normally, you know, uh, in hundred percent of the cases, they are experts in this kind of surgery, and if they are experts. They can do it. Let me say the only the only problem that we have in some hospitals. Uh, probably more than a year ago, is something related with the technical. Technical means audiovisual, you know, tools to make a good uh, uh, transmission. The majority of not, because could you imagine, you say, okay, if you are the best, you know, singer about uh, opera in the world, for years it's not important to make a, a live a performance in, in front of the 20,000 people. It's no problem at all because they are professionals and they can do excellent because they do these kind of procedures. We never, you know, we never accept, you know, a, a crazy guy trying to, uh, to uh, you know, to increase the uh, uh, egos uh, through uh, our platform. So we'll switch gears here a little bit now and talk a little bit about uh, minimally invasive surgery in general. You've obviously been extremely productive with probably over 200 publications, high impact factors, major journals. And I want to walk back to the time, your 2002 paper in The Lancet, looking at laparoscopic assisted colectomy versus open colectomy for non-metastatic colon cancer. You know, one of the first randomized controlled trials on this topic. And, you know, you guys found something that, you know, others hadn't to date and uh, and especially at that time, finding that laparoscopy wasn't just the same as open colectomy for colon cancer, but in fact, that it may actually, patients may ultimately do a little bit better in terms of not only morbidity and hospital stay, but in terms of tumor recurrence and cancer-related survival. 
Can you take a little bit into your thoughts about that that particular paper? I remember reading it as a resident and and uh, thinking, wow, where do we go from here? And did you get any? Uh, what was the type of feedback to that? And what was the response to people when they uh, contacted you about that particular paper? Yeah, again, I, I'm very happy with this question because you have to probably, when you you were resident, however, uh, you, probably you remember the real reason because laparoscopy stopped in oncology patients is because some uh, is was a paper published, you know, with uh, twelve colorectal cancer operated by laparoscopy and three porn side metastasis. That was, you know, it's sometimes it's easier to publish a negative paper than positive paper. Immediately was a, a perfect excuse for the majority of people without experience in laparoscopy, you know, is try, you know, excuse to stop immediately the technique. You know, as you said, it was the first randomized trial published. The only problem is a single center randomized trial. It's not a multi-center randomized trial like the other trials like uh, cost the American trial, the color uh, one, the European trial. Our trial, we found uh, differences in uh, only in a stage three uh, cancer patients. And many people, I received more than a hundred different uh, questions to try to, what would you think is the reason? Because at those at this time, we thought to say, maybe it's immunological, response, maybe it's many things. However, many, many people don't believe that. They say, why you have better results in stage three? Okay, now I think it's easy to answer because if you come back now to the color two trial, it's comparing rectal cancer laparoscopy versus open, you uh, you know the, the, in the alphas, I mean, I'm one of the alphas of this paper too, say we found the same results in a stage three cancer patients comparing laparoscopy and open. The, 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 the answer is quite easy. In a stage one and a stage two, it's not really, really important because you can do open surgery very well and you can do also laparoscopy. However, in more, you know, uh, a staging uh, stage in three is a more aggressive tumors, you know, probably is one of the advantages to use minimal invasive surgery. But in the other way, you know, talking about randomized trials, again, we have a meeting with one of the, one of the biggest surgeons uh, in France, is Brice Gaillet, Sir Alfred Cruciari, I think was also uh, another German a surgeon and myself, you know, trying to make a multi-center randomized trial comparing colorectal cancer laparoscopy versus open. And I remember the advice of Sir Albert Cuscieri said, you know, why not ch- you didn't choose you know the right surgeons in the right places in the right hospitals, and each uh, surgeon can do they normally do best. If you go to Professor Hohenberger, for example, in Germany, they can do an excellent right colectomies, total colectomies by open approach. And you can do the same thing by uh, laparoscopy. That is not real, a randomized trial. 
But that is probably one of the answers to try to demonstrate, okay, we did the same than colon in reactor. And now you have the color 2 trial and the Korean trial. There are two trials with non-inferiority trials. That means laparoscopy is not superior, is non-inferior to open. However, there are two trials, the Alacrab trial and the American trial. The answer to non-inferiority was no. That means probably at the moment is still the standard procedure is the, uh, the, the open approach. In the majority, at least 70% of the, of the patients around the world. And that is probably the reason because we can't introduce, you know, something that we wanted to demonstrate in a campaign, rectal cancer, open laparoscopy, robotic or transamic. So uh, sticking along these lines, you know, not only were you a pioneer um, uh, on these minimal invasive approaches, but you continue to be a pioneer when it comes to uh, notes surgery. And, and for those that aren't familiar, that it's the natural orifice, transluminal endoscopic surgery. We wanted to talk to you a little bit about where, what's the current state of note surgery? Where do you see the application? And how close are we to, you know, having, you know, pure notes as, um, you know, a legitimate option? Okay, I like the question. You know, as, as you know, again, in the United States, the group of NOSCA started with the with the with the notes. It's at the beginning of the of the idea, as you know, immediately say when Reddick take out uh, the, the the appendix through through the through the mouth. You know, many people is talking about that is will be the future, and again, many people is is involved. Say, okay, that's uh, you know could be. However, the moment is to do a pure, pure notes is is it, I think it's too difficult. Probably in some cases is not the the, the you know the solution. Okay, immediately Nosca, you know Euronotes in uh, in uh, in Europe created a group to try to do, for example, you know the gallbladder, you know starting in trying to compare uh, laparoscopy with the cholestectomy uh, through the mouth and through the vagina. We started to do uh, these kind of procedures. We do a couple of cases of through the mouth, uh, taking out the gallbladder. However, for us, it's too complicated because you can make a procedure in uh, 20 minutes. You can say, now it's so complicated, you have to enter into the mouth to do a flexible endoscopy, to, to make a hole into the stomach, to do the surgery with the view is not as excellent that you normally do in a minimal invasive in, in laparoscopy. Okay, we started to do a vaginal approach and we started to do a sigmoid cancer. We made this the first sigmoid cancer through the vagina. The main problem with the vagina is that we have many problems sometimes in the hospital with people is against to make because, uh, you know, more important, uh, people is talking about dyspareunia, dyspareunia after these kind of procedures. Nobody demonstrated this. There are some uh, experience in Germany with, with uh, more than a thousand cases of gallbladders. However, the main problem is, is one surgery for only 50% of the population because, of course, related with the, with the gender. And that is the reason because, okay, with the experience of the, of the vaginal approach, with the notes, 
we decided to go to the to the another uh, natural orifice is the anus is 100% of the population and we started to do in rectal cancer uh, cases we have the opportunity i met one of the you know fantastic and generous ladies a surgeon around the world is Pashila, my friend and pat uh, accepted to came to 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 barcelona to do the, to do the first uh, rectal cancer through the transanally through natural orifices is a hybrid procedure because we do a minimal uh, a mini laparoscopy at the same time and we did uh, the case in 2009 and since then we've started trying to work really hard hard and now we have more than 400 cases performed by the trans uh, rectal or transanal approach Great. This leads in perfectly to our tips and tricks. Uh, we recently uh, met with some of the program directors of the um, ASCARS committee, and they were saying that the transanal TME was one of the hottest topics um, at this year's ASCARS. And they were saying it's also uh, much more widely performed in Europe and specifically at your center. I was hoping you could just uh, take us through um, patients that you would consider for a transanal TME, um, the benefits and the, the risks um, and limitations of the surgery and where you see it going in the future. Yeah, now since, okay, we, we did the first case with Pashila in the hospital in 2009. We made another couple of cases, with, but we decided because we thought it's quite complicated. We, can, we came back to the, to the lab, we came back to the cadavers, and we changed a little, you know, the technique. And since November 2011, that means uh, almost uh, six years, all the cases in rectal cancer, in other, because we, we now increase the, the indications, but all rectal cancers in low rectum, mid rectum, high rectum, we do normally transanally. And that is since, uh, as I said, since uh, almost six years, we expanded, you know, the, the, the indication not only for rectal cancer. Now we do in hammer vessel, we do in all IBDs, we do on all familial polyposis, we do in all complication, we do in uh, uh, complicated cases like leaks, like... Uh, sinus, chronic sinus, etc. we use this approach. We think it's easier, and we think it's because we, uh, since uh, after 41 cases, we started to make the procedure in two teams. We decided to put, uh, instead of to put the name of surgeon, we decided to put the name of an of a animal, a beautiful lion, it's a Cecil approach, and that means we work together, two teams at the same time. The majority of hospitals in Europe and even in the United States are doing this technique. The majority of them, more than 75%, is using the two teams approach. And that is, is safer for the patient, quicker, because you can do the procedures in less than two hours in the majority of cases. And that, I think, is, is quite good for uh patients. Another time I committed another mistake. When we started with a standardized procedure in 2011, I thought and I said, you know, in less than three, five years, 50% of the rectal cancer will operate, uh, will be operated by uh, this approach. 
and again another mistake in my life because it's not uh, you know many people are really interested however the majority of hospital is using that in only in selected cases well the one thing that came up professor Lacey, that uh talking to people at the oscars meeting was and one of the questions with the the uh the transanal tme is how do you avoid injury injury to the urethra how do you find the correct plane in this uh, dissection yeah, that is a good question because uh, before this approach, always when a surgeon make another approach, always they have they increase, you know, some uh, you know some complication or maybe they have a new complication. But remember, go to the history is very important. When they started with the laparoscopic listectomy, is nobody make a randomized trial. Why not? Because the patient immediately re- realized this, and they prefer and they ask to be operated with a with a keyhole surgery instead of a beacon section, like Marilyn Monroe, Monroe had. And uh, and in in those days, you know, one of the main problems was, you know, infection of the belly button, and at the same time, the injuries of common bile duct increase a lot around the world. Now we have a new approach. It's a new anatomy. And many people is talking about urethral injury. You know, my feeling is probably in the near future, nobody will talk about the urethral injury. Because it's, let me say, it's quite complicated to make a urethral injury because the urethra is not immediately above the rectum in the plane. You have to dissect the prostate, and after when you dissected the prostate, you can cut the urethra. That is the reason because you have to be careful, try to find the planes, try to find the embryological plane of the mesorectum. And, for example, in our experience, we have a case, a very complicated, tough case, you know, with a previous radiochemotherapy, a big tumor, probably at the beginning of the series, and we have the video, and we dissect quite well you know, the prostate. But since then, more than 400 cases, we met, never make an injury into, into the urethra. Probably urethral injury is because many people, you know, you say that is more uh, common in one uh, hospital than another, one surgeon than others. You say like uh, see one, teach one, uh, made one, make one and teach one. Say probably people is not well trained started to do the technique without experience, and that is probably the reason, like in laparoscopic cholestectomy, you know, we have uh, more injuries in the urethra. Excellent. Thank you, Professor Lacey. Well, that, that leads us into uh, what we call our final five, and this is, this is how we like to end um, you know, most of our interviews. Five quick, simple, easy questions um, that help us get to know, and our listeners get to know you a little bit better. So first question of the final five, uh, do you listen to music in the operating room? And if you listen to music in the operating room, uh, what kind of music do you listen to? Yeah, that is very important for me because music is something you can be uh, more relaxed. And at the same time, I, I, I hate to hear voices, people chatting in the operating room. The type of music that we normally use is classic in the majority of cases. And uh, if I have to choose uh, one, you know, again, coming to, to Mallorca, I like very much Chopin. 
Uh, do you guys have Taylor Swift in Spain? Uh, that, that's Dr. Steele's favorite uh, music generally. But uh, Always. Uh, uh, Professor Lacey, number two, do you have yeah. any hobbies or talents outside of the operating room? <laughs> yes. My hobby, as, uh, I was uh, uh, you know, a tennis uh, player. And now, uh, fortunately, because I play better tennis than I, I used to play golf. That is very difficult to play golf, more difficult than, than to do surgery. <laughs> I think that too often. Uh, question number three, is there a favorite trip or vacation that you've taken recently? Let me say my favorite trip is uh, since we had an uh, important problem in our, uh, in our life, we used to, to make minimum two uh, trips with my my family, with my wife and my two uh, kids to to different places. And that is the ideal situation. But it's a simple. I just came from Mallorca for, to spend the, the weekend and I think it was extraordinary. You know, I think the most important is not the place to go. The, the most important is with uh, whom you are going to these different places. Number four, if you weren't to do medicine at all, what would you be doing? Uh, probably, you know, if I, you know, I used to say, if I born again, if I have, if I have uh, you know, some uh, qualities to make, Something related with artist that means music, a painter, or something, I would do it. If not, I come back uh, to surgery. Remember, when I was seven years old, people is asking to me, what do you want it to be when, we, when you are uh, you know, big, uh, when you are adult? And I used to say, surgeon. He said, not physician. Also, I wanted to be surgeon. But probably, I think it's much better to be, uh, you know, a musician or something like this. Okay, number five. So if you could go back in time and meet yourself on your very first day of uh, your surgical internship, what one piece of advice would you give yourself? Again, uh, again, as as, uh, Big said to me, you know, the most important in your professional career is not only papers, reputation, you know, congresses, everything related with, again, with the ego. The most important is your patients. And I used to say, you need to treat your patients like you wanted to be treated by if you are the, the, the patient. Remember the movie, the doctor from William Hurt, who was a cardiac surgeon without any respect to the, to the patients, and after, when he has a, a cancer, you know, immediately uh, he changed uh, the way to, to, to make medicine. Well, Professor Lacey, we can't thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Behind the Knife. Um, obviously, just very fascinating some of the innovation that you've done. You've been a, truly a pioneer in the global uh, world of surgery. And we cannot thank you for sharing kind of the history about how some of this happened and then what the future has to hold. So from all of us, thank you on Behind the Knife. Thank you so much. It was a real, you know, honor to me to answer you uh, extraordinary questions. 
and thank you to for the opportunity to try to explain a little bit about my life. And we look forward to joining in on the live surgeries uh, on the AIS channel. Thanks again, Professor Okay, Lizzie. we will see you soon. Until next time, dominate the day.